Thank, thank you, Amber, and welcome to Grace Reformed Baptist Church. We are glad that you're here. Today's a special day. Obviously, it's the Lord's Day, so every day's special, but this is, uh, we're going to have a little uh, Sunday School Moving Up presentation in a little bit once we get all the kids around. Uh, but just a few announcements. Before I forget, the elders have a meeting right after church, so we're going to skip out over to the cottage. It's not that we're ignoring you or that we've come under conviction of pastor's sermon, but we've, we've got some things to do. Um, there is youth choir practice after the church, too, over in the apartment building, and you kids know where to go. If not, just follow Amber and Amanda. If, are you going over, Amanda? Okay. We have a, a card from Sue Ellen and Gordon. I got it in the right order this time, but I left it up on the sign. Oh, I forgot. Uh, we'll take you out to Chick-fil-A right after church. Okay. So, dear church family, this is from Gordon and Sue Ellen. Dear church family, thank you. Our 50th wedding anniversary celebration was such a great joy. We're deciding to stay together for another 50 years. Uh, we're still smiling. Thanks for all the hard work in putting it together. The fellowship hall was stunningly beautiful. Thank you for your generous best wishes, cards, gifts, and great food. And especially thank you for your most gracious Christian love. We do love you. I hope you know that. Yes, we do. And unless I forgot an announcement, that's it. Well, good morning. Let's take our hymn books and let's stand and begin our worship. What a better way than to preach the church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. She is his new creation by spirit. And the word. Let's turn to 346 and let's think about the, the song, The Church's One Foundation, Jesus Christ our Lord.
couple of verses here in your worship folder for you to think about. I want to note this second one here from 2 Timothy chapter 3 in relationship to thinking about the children today, which we're going to recognize. It's a beautiful thing. Notice here, it, it, the call is that all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. I think we'll find that out more and more as the evil days progress. Imposters then will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. That is false, flattery, falsehood, feigning to be true. But notice here, this is addressed to Timothy, a young man became Paul's protege. He says, for as you continue in what you have learned and firmly believe, knowing from whom you learned it, and, and that would have been um, his mother and his grandmother and others that are connected to the, this very church. He says, and how, how, and how from no childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus because all scripture is breathed out by God it's profitable for teaching for reproof for correction for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete equipped for every good work I assure you with all these children we are praying for that to be fulfilled in their life, for them to confess Jesus Christ as Lord, to recognize that this holy word is indeed God's word. It is the source of truth, and we're praying for that. And I really appreciate all of those that are connected with the church that have poured out their lives in, in accomplishing that in the various ways in which they do so. And I want to take this moment, too, to remind you we have opportunities for you to participate in this children's ministry. And one of the most important and foundational things is prayer. And Catherine, my wife, will lead and direct you on that. All of us could be a part of that. We pray for each child all the time. That this would be true of them. That they would all grow up to be a Timothy. There's somebody who loves God from the heart that have been made wise unto salvation from the Holy Scriptures. It's not going to happen by accident. It needs to occur through a, the means which God has ordained to do so. And one of the fundamental and foundational parts is the ministry of prayer. And I invite you to, to be a part of that to the degree that you can. Um, the second one, of course, would be to help from time to time, as we, we do. Gail, I really appreciate your work, and Catherine as well, in putting things together. We don't entertain the children when we have um, uh, them together, whether it's in the Sunday school hour or even during the church hour. They train them in righteousness. They teach them about the scripture on a level into which they can understand. And, and even in the nursery, and the nursery workers that are there, they're praying for these children. 
They're speaking words of grace. What an incredible ministry to be a part of and I encourage you to consider if God would call you to one of these ministries or perhaps all of them and even more. So in any case, well, I want to invite Andy now to come up and uh, lead us in this presentation for recognizing some of these children today. And thank you, Andy, for your efforts in doing so. Pastor thanks me, but I'm just the mouthpiece. Um, if you came over to our apartment, you would think you were in a Sunday school room, the way the living room is just kid stuff. Uh, my wife has this incredible gift. Maybe that's why we've made 35 years. She's good with kids. She's good with me. Um, so I'm going to do two things. We're going to have prayer for the workers, so I'm going to embarrass you workers and ask you to stand up So, uh, in a little bit. But this is the first Sunday of the Sunday school year for children, and we have four classes. There is the nursery, pre-K or pre-K classes, then there's kindergarten to grade three, and grades four to six. And I know that I married a teacher because when I ask her, how old is this little kid? She doesn't give me the age, she gives me the grade. So uh, in our classes start downstairs at 945. Um, so if you are a worker with the children, I'd like you to stand for a prayer of dedication. Sunday school teachers, stand up. Come on, Gail, stand up. You wrote this. Um, are there any children's church workers? I see you ladies. Come on. If you work with the kids, stand up back there. Okay. And nursery workers. Come on, Sharon. Janet, come on. And am I missing any? Oh, do you ladies ever work in the nursery? No, okay. Um, I think I got everybody, so seriously, let me pray for you. Father in heaven, I thank you for the way you have gifted these ladies with their sacrificial work and their incredible love for their young charges. You have blessed our church, not only with children, but with ladies that are pouring their lives into these precious souls that will soon grow up. And I thank you so much that they care for the souls of their children, that they teach, they admonish, they encourage. They just take care of them and love them like Jesus Christ would love them. And I ask that you would keep them healthy physically and spiritually, that you would give them extraordinary wisdom to know how to teach and care for each individual child because they're all different. And I ask that you would fill their heart with love for their children and know that they are loved by us and parents for the way they, they act. And would you bless them with joy? In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. And now it's time to present these beautiful Bibles. I have a black Bible. Maybe I'll get one of these if I'm nice to Gail. Um, but Gail, come on up. And as Miss Gail's coming up, I'd like these kids to come up. Luke Warren and another Luke, Luke Taylor, come on up. And I think James Myers is here. Come on up, James. 
Willa Hargraves isn't feeling good, so we'll make sure she gets that. And each year we present this children's ESV Bible to children who enter kindergarten, and it's the same Bible as the one in their Sunday school class. This can help as they're learning to read. This is the Bible that is suitable for them to grow with. And if you look at some of the older kids' Bibles, they're used just like a teddy bear is used and worn out, well-loved. These Bibles are well-loved by other children. It helps pre-readers because it has illustrations, and it helps readers because we have Bible helps written by Truth 7-8. That's the, the writers of our Sunday school curricula. And if you haven't ever seen it, there'll be one, one, one extra that I'll leave up in the pew. That's Willis, so don't take it. But look at it, moms and dads. It's a fantastic Bible, just perfect for these kids. So, Gail, will you do the honors? There's Luke Taylor. Yes. James Meyer. And finally, Luke Warren. Three handsome young men. Okay, and they're going to stay up here because Pastor Wayne's going to pray for you guys. There you are. Congratulations, each one of you, and we pray that you'll continue to hide God's word in your heart, that which you hold in your hand. Let me pray for you guys now. Father, I do pray for these young boys, that you'll take them and use them. May they one day recognize truly that Jesus Christ is Lord and confess it. I pray that we'll see that expression in, in believers' baptism. As they confess Jesus Christ as Lord, as they recognize you for who you are. You, you have said that indeed we would know you, and I pray for each one and the others there that are part of this children's ministry. I pray, Father, that indeed they would come to faith in Christ, that that faith would flourish and continue in their life, that you give them great success, and may your blessings be upon them not just at this day and this time as they are under the care and stewardship of their parents, but for the days ahead, that they might be a light to the nations of your glory and grace. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. God bless you. Thanks, guys. You did well. Church, I just encourage you, as you look at our church, and many churches try to orchestrate how they grow. There's church growth programs. You can enlist and all that. But God in his wisdom and his providence has entrusted children to us. If you ask Jerry and Linda, Pastor and, and Catherine, anybody that's been here 15 years or longer, there were no kids here when Pastor came with his three little ones. And now his kids are having kids, so he's a grandfather. Now, I know you don't think he's that old, but he is a grandfather. But look around, and you hear the children. You, you go downstairs, you see these beautifully decorated classrooms. But there's no entertainment. We don't have programs to, to rev the kids up because we're, we're focusing on Bible truth at age-appropriate levels. And as I get older, and Pastor reminds me that I'm older than him, not mature, but older, 
it just keeps hitting me, and you guys have heard me say this, that we're an incubator for the next generation. I think God has truly entrusted the next generation to us. So pray for these kids. Treat them with respect. Pray for the workers. They're front line. But also in your heart, rejoice that God is using this small church to have eternal impacts that we may never see. But we want to be faithful stewards to it and pass it on. Are you going to preach there or should I keep going? I might need you in a week or two. No, Paul's got that covered. Amen. Let's take our hymn books and stand once more. Turn to number 454. My faith has found a resting place. I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. 454. How sweet the name of Jesus sounds. Philippians 2.9 says, God gave him the name that is above every name. 323.
morning, church. We are reading this morning from Acts chapter 15, verses 22 through 41. Uh, that is page, let me see, 924 in the Pew Bible. For those of you. And uh, verse 22. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders, with the whole church, to choose men from among them and send Barnabas and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brothers, with the following letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia. Greetings. Since we have heard that some persons who have gone out from us and troubled you with words, unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood, and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourself from these things, you will do well. Farewell. So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch, <clears throat> and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord, with many others also. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaimed the word of the Lord, and, so, <clears throat> and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought it best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia strengthening the churches. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this Lord's Day, and thank you for your word. <clears throat> for through it we understand who we are and who you are. And Father, thank you for taking who we are and making it be of praise to you. Be with Pastor this morning as he shares more insight into Hebrews and help us be ready to accept and make application to it in our lives. Father, be with the children of our church, and Father, also be with the parents. Give them the wisdom to guide and mold their young lives, to direct them to you in all things. And Father, we ask that you bless the offering this morning. Help us as a church family to always use our gifts to bring glory to you. And in Christ's name we pray, amen.
Redeemed how I love to proclaim it, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, redeemed through his infinite mercy, his child and forever I am. If you want to proclaim that, let's stand together and turn to number 280 in our hymn books and sing, Redeemed how I love to proclaim it. Blake, Amber, and Church. So I was singing with you uh, with this hymn. This is both doctrinally and personally. This concept of redeemed, or we might call it being born again, regenerate. And in so doing, as this hymn proclaims, that I think of him. I'm a child, the expression is made. He guards my footsteps, gives me songs in the night. What do you think about God? It's a hymn, and we sing it. We want to have those kinds of personal expressions where we think about God, we understand who he is, and yet often it's 
Maybe it's not as clear as we would like. We're distracted by many things. There are many other thoughts that go along. In our text in Hebrews chapter 8, I'm going to address this aspect of knowing God one more time. And I've had a hard time with this concept because, for me, I feel like I'm sitting here with a a, a bag that can hold about 60 pounds of coal, and there's this train that I'm trying to get it from, and it's full of cars, as far as I can see, all of them filled with coal to the brim. So to squeeze that in in the time that remains, it, it, I find it difficult. But I don't have to cover everything, although I try to. My real purpose, and even if I slaughter this sermon homiletically, my real purpose is, is one singular point. And that is to awaken you to the reality of knowing God. All who are regenerate know God in a unique way. And I'm not talking about information about God, although that would certainly be a part of it. You would need to know aspects of God, information. The information that he's provided in his divine revelation, we know it absolutely. But it's more than that. This is an emphasis experientially. And I want to... If you are redeemed, if you are in Christ, to awaken your thoughts to think about that personal relationship that you have been afforded by God, and then you indeed are a child of His. This is an amazing concept if you allow yourself to think about that experientially. This is part of the problem with this church that the preacher of Hebrews is addressing. Their, their thoughts on God were, were doctrinally sound. They, they had certain religious orders and practices in which they engaged in readings and prayers and rituals and things that they did, and, and they were prescribed by God. But engaging in all of those are not redemptive. They're really not truly this experience of knowing God. It may facilitate, may help, may point to, but knowing God is like knowing a person because God indeed is. He's a being. He's transcendent, but he exists in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This transcendent God is also a personal God and engages with each of his own as beloved children. That's different than this Mosaic covenant, this external covenant, which all of the rituals were right and the things that they were doing were prescribed, but yet that only addresses the outside. The promise of the new covenant really, as I've mentioned before, are kind of a, a declaration, a revelation of what God ultimately does, and that is he'll capture the heart. And we've read this text a few times, so I don't want to wear you out with it, but so let's just 
pick it up where he specifically addresses this new covenant in verse 10 of chapter 8 in Hebrews. He's reminding them of this prophetic word which the people in, under the old covenant look forward to, to which now has been fulfilled in Christ's blood, which we in the new covenant look backward to his accomplishment. And what is that promise? What is that better covenant? Here it is in verse 10. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. They shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I'll be merciful towards their iniquities, and I will remember their sin no more. Let us pray. Oh, Father, we delight that you have called us to this holy covenant. I pray the profundity of it would increase in our own minds, that we would grasp it to a greater degree, awaken to the reality that exists, not in some distant future, but even now. I pray by the power of your spirit, mediated through your word, that you will cause us to truly know the Lord. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. As I've mentioned before concerning this particular covenant, just to note again, all of this is God's doing. This is what salvation is all about. It is God's doing. We do love God, but we do so because he first loved us. He, he must take the initiative in all of it. That's what we're saying. Ours is simply a response, a good and right and a required response, but it wouldn't be a response at all if God wouldn't work in the heart of man. Set out the law, set out the code, set out the rules, the regulations, the, the things that you have to do. They're all good. But they won't be done without God's work. It is note here in verse 10. It, it is God who would then would put, put this law, not externally, but internally. And God would indeed be their God. He'll be the provider, the protector, the guide for his people. And you don't have to then teach anybody that truth. You don't have to twist their arm. You don't have to manipulate them. This is a dynamic work of God. By the power of the Spirit. And we'll pick this up in next week, most likely, unless I have more coal to get. I'll be merciful. What a great concept. And then I'll remember not their sin, not hold it against. These promises, these profound promises that he has given to us. And the, the one I want to focus on, the, the blessed part, is that, th- that they will know me. They will know me. Th- this is some internal knowledge experientially of God. 
that you would indeed know. And this is a great truth. Jeremiah, the prophet, said, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me. I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. This is one of the most significant things to actually know, and I want to awaken you to it. And if you don't know God in this way, pray that he would make himself known to you personally, experientially. Understand and know God. Why would you understand and want to know God? Because ultimately, this knowing God is mentioned here in the New Covenant. You can equate it to some respect to salvation, regeneration, eternal life, heaven. I'll try to get to this passage at some point, but if I don't, Explain it in full. You can look it up later from John 17. I'll just read you an excerpt from verse 3. This is eternal life, Jesus would say. What is eternal life, Jesus? That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This is salvation, that you would know it deep within your heart, experientially. That's eternal life. That's why this is so critical, that you would have this response that you would actually personally know God. One of my favorite passages is 2 Peter 3.18. And in it, it says, but it's a call to grow in grace and knowledge. Grow in grace and knowledge, what? Of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to him be the glory both now and forevermore. Think about that phrase. Grow in what? Grace and knowledge. Okay, grace is given to us at salvation. It's by grace you're saved. And knowledge, that kind of experiential knowledge also is given. I'm not talking about information. Information is included in it right? The concepts. Who who would God be? Who who is the Lord Jesus Christ? What does each one mean? Yes, that's information. That's information by which we would grow into and understand in a deeper way. Understanding and growing in that grace. Understanding and recognizing what grace is. And whatever you think of it, you haven't thought of it highly enough. It's greater than whatever you could imagine. And this knowledge, this personal experience, can I tell you this is a a greater experience in any kind of relationship you would ever have. As good as those might be, those are simply pointers to what is eternal life. What? It is for you to know God. And that is my prayer. And that you would be awakened to pursue that in your own life. 
Come to him, yes, by repentance and faith and trust and and belief. And then recognize that this desire in your heart is going to be fulfilled by God himself. And the call is to grow indeed in that. Do you know God? I'm not asking do you know about him, but do you know him? Surely you would know about him. That's part of it. You wouldn't know a person unless you knew about them. Our difficulty in knowing people can be the fact that they reserve much that they would be ashamed of. Or they just don't feel like sharing it with us at that time. So you'll know people at different levels. God has shared with us through his divine revelation all that is necessary for life and godliness. It is, it is contained right here. And through the power of the Spirit, he will give those who know God the ability to know him from the word. He binds it to our conscience, that communication, if you will, that you would have. And so both prayer and the word and meditating and thinking about that truth is how that experience will grow. But it is an enabled from the very beginning at salvation, but something that must mature and must grow to know, to truly know the Lord. Do you know him? Do you know important people? Do you know somebody in your life that, well, you wouldn't mind dropping their name? Or do you know of other people that do that from time to time? We do that naturally because that's important to us. It says something about us to some degree. Maybe we respect and revere that person. I grew up in Washington, D.C. I was born there. Somebody asked me what state I was born in. I said, it's a state of corruption. (laughs) It's really a city. I was born there because my grandfather was a policeman there, and so was my father. My grandfather was a really accomplished guy. He did a lot in his life along the way. In fact, he, was, he went to the Olympics, 1948, the first one they had after World War II. It was in London, England, and he didn't win the medal, <laughs> but he did bring back some memorabilia, which I still have today. I know him. I respected him, and a lot of other people did, too. He's a very gifted and talented guy, and he rose up the ranks, and you might not think anything about it, but Washington, D.C., if you haven't lived there, you may have seen the monuments and whatnot, but I lived there. It's full of important, at least they think they're important, and very powerful people. They are because they have a lot of control over a lot of things. Ambassadors are running around, and you'll drive along and see this palatial, mount, palatial mansion with guards and so forth if you haven't gone through there and, and then Different places, you'd just bump into really important and powerful people. 
Well, my grandfather became a powerful person. He, he became the chief of police. This was just after, uh, just after Kennedy was assassinated, probably about a year later. And the, the president of the United States at that time, LBJ, uh, gave him some awards and whatnot. I have photos of that and signed autographs from LBJ and all of that. It's, it's really kind of cool growing up. There's much more I could get into, but I bragged enough. My, fa- my grandfather became chief of police, and that was an important, critical time in political history as well. And he was noted among the powerful in that particular city and community. Nobody cares anymore. <laughs> um, his, his name was John Layton, and so was my father. And now you know why my son is named John Layton among other reasons. My dad told me one day he was pulled over one of those rich and powerful, important people to give him a ticket for a traffic violation. And as you can imagine, that very important and powerful person began to remind my father how powerful and important he was and that he should just be let go as my father just stood there and wrote that ticket out. And he, this powerful, important person, continued to harangue and carry on. And he said, don't you know who I am? Continued to write. I know the chief of police personally. I'm going to tell John Layton about you and what you have done here. As he finished the ticket, he signed it, John Layton, and handed it to him and smirked and said, well, say hi to my dad when you see him. I know somebody a lot more important, a lot more powerful, and so do you. The question is, do you really know him? You see, I I got to be invited at an important person's table for Thanksgiving and Christmas and important occasions. And so did my dad. Because we knew this person. And beloved, if you're in Christ... We talked about this last week. You're adopted into the family of God. You are a beloved child of God. Now, my father and my grandfather didn't love me in perfection. They did okay, but they fell short. Can I tell you this? God never falls short. Do you know him? He loves his children in absolute perfection. And the the call then is to, to know him. Is that the most important relationship that you would have in your life? And can you imagine this privilege of the new covenant that they will know me? You see, this is granted to you in salvation. 
But you must grow in your understanding and knowledge of it and your experience of it, if you will. Jesus would say, of his, the, in, Jesus would um, be identified here by John in John chapter 1. I'll read, for of his fullness we have received grace upon grace. The law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. So you love a God that you cannot see. It's invisible. The only God, though, who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. That's how you will know God. It is through Jesus Christ. This is why we preach Christ. This is why we proclaim him. Do you want to know God? You will know God only through Jesus Christ. And again, remember, this knowing I'm, I'm saying, it, it is not just knowing about him. That is important, and that is critical. You won't know much. I know a lot about my grandfather and my father. But knowing that information, that's what somebody can put on an Internet page about, uh, in a biography. But there is something totally different in that experiential relationship with people, and particularly here, then applied as to God. Jesus would say in John 14, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. You're not going to come to the Father, that is to God, except through me. And then he puts this rejoinder on it. If you had known me, you would have known the Father also. And speaking to his disciples, from now on, you do know him and have seen him. And the question is, do you know God? This personal experiential relationship the disciples had with Jesus Christ incarnate was afforded to them by faith. And these blessings of the new covenant were realized in a genuine relationship with God through Jesus Christ. It's given to all, not just that select group, it is given to all who have faith in Christ to have a real-world relationship with God. Think of anybody in history that you could have a personal relationship with and sit down with dinner to have such a personal relationship that that person would, would be willing to, to give you and provide for you and to care for you, and to look out after you. you. You understand there is no greater than that relationship that is afforded to you by God through Jesus Christ our Lord. J.I. Packer, in his work that he wrote on knowing God, states it this way, What makes life worthwhile is having a big enough objective. And in our day, we would say purpose, right? That's bandied about. And he's right about that in, in looking at people. Something which captures our imagination and lays hold of our allegiance. And this is the 
And this the Christian has in a way that no other person has. That's what I'm getting to. You know God if you're in Christ. And that's the greatest objective. That is eternal life. That, that is something that can hold your allegiance and capture your imagination. He goes on to write, For what higher or more exalted and more compelling goal can there be than to know God? Not about him, but to truly know him, to be a beloved child of him. He tells us about himself in his word, and that's how that experience will grow. And this is why we read the word, we teach the word, we pray the word, we sing the word, so that your experience with God would grow. But fundamentally, it begins through that grace granted to you in redemption. And now the call is then to awaken you to the reality of who you are in Christ. A beloved son. Adopted into the family of God as we considered last week. Our text says, they shall all know me. What a great personal relationship the disciples who walk with Jesus had. It changed everything about them, didn't it? Because of who they were with. You want courage? They were cowards for the most part. Remember what happened when Jesus died? The only ones that hung around was, were the women. And John showed up later on. They all fled. They all ran. But what happened? As that new covenant was ratified, sealed in their soul, they recognized that, hey, this relationship is, is not just now, it is forevermore. It changed them to, to men of great courage, to men of great conviction, to men of great faith. In fact, every one of them would then preach Christ of matter what it cost them. We've been reading about it in the book of Acts. And for many, it cost them their life. You see, that imagination in, in their mind, as their, as their mind thought on who they are, it changed the entire world. They had a whole new direction about where they were going because of their relationship with Christ. Their commitment to him changed everything in realizing who they are. In fact, it even brought, uh, brought together those that would otherwise be opposed to one another. Remember Simon the Zealot and Matthew the tax collector? You may not know much about them, but these guys are on two opposite sides of the political fence. In the reality of that day, they would have been really highly opposed to the point that they would be willing to kill one another. In fact, the Zealots often did that, to sneak up on people and stab them in the back, so to speak. But now you have these two sitting at the same table because now they are in Christ. They know God, and because of that, then they recognize one another, not as opponents, but as brothers. It changes everything. It has a great practical benefit. Very crass and crude 
people like Peter. He would always put his foot in his mouth at the wrong time. God did humble him through various experiences. He finally recognized indeed who he was, a child of God, and preached the gospel to the nations, and even was compelled to to break with his own religious traditions. We read about that in Acts chapter 10, and preach and accept those who were not Jews. God changed his heart. John the Apostle, one of my favorites, we we think about him as the disciple who Jesus loved. One who, who leaned on Jesus in that experiential relationship. But he was also, prior to his encounter with Christ, known as the son of thunder. You know what that means? He was a thug. He was not a very loving person. I didn't grow up in a loving home, actually. I identify with that. But God has broken my heart, and I could be much more loving than I, than I, um, than I currently am. I haven't obtained that, I would say. But if you see any compassion, any love, any grace, that is because of my relationship with Jesus Christ. It's because I'm now a child of the King. I'm a son of God. And guess what? I know him. I don't know him perfectly, but I know him experientially. He is God. He is the one who has created all things. He's the one who sustains all things by the word of his power. There is no higher, and I know him. I am his beloved. Not because I deserve to be his beloved. Not because I merited anything to gain that position. Because he graced me with his favor. But if you have been graced with the favor of God in calling you to be a son, the question is recognizing that. Awaken to it and know your God. Know who he is. John, that apostle, would say in one of his epistles, in 1 John 3, see what kind of love the Father has given us. I, I think this is what changed his disposition. Yes, because a, a change of heart, but as he grew in grace and knowledge of the Lord, then it's expressed in his own life as he expresses his knowledge of God. See what kind of love the Father has given us that we should be called children of of God, and so we are. This is not a, pr- a statement of your own boasting in your own achievement, but boasting in God. His love that is given to us. And now this is the status in which we exist. We, we, we know God experientially because of his grace granted to us. He would go on to say the reason why the world doesn't know us, 
The world won't recognize you. They're not going to put you up on some kind of billboard or platform or anything for, for knowing God. You do some other achievement, you win some sort of medal, some sort of trophy, some sort of accomplishment that's going to be forgotten and rusted and go away. You do that and they might recognize you. They might put you in the books. But, but there's no book that sits out there and says, well, these are the children of God. But God has it. He has a book. And in it, their names are right there. The book of life, because that's eternal life, to know God. John would remind his audience in 1 John 3, verse 2. Well, let me back up. He says, the reason why the world doesn't know, he gives us the reason, is that they they didn't know God. They didn't know him. That's why. This is why it doesn't mean much to anybody else you run into. You know why? They're just demonstrating you don't know God if you don't think that's profound. And then he'll say, verse 2, Beloved, he's talking about those who know God, those who are redeemed. He said, Beloved, and listen to this, we are God's children now, in the present. At the moment, this isn't something you're waiting for to be realized in time. It is that right now, everywhere you go, everywhere you are, you're always God's child. Do you know that? And we will, and we will, and what we will be has not yet appeared. Yes, the perfection. The removal of sin. We call it receiving a glorified body and state. Yes, we we have to recognize that. That we don't always live up to uh, reflecting the fact that we indeed are God's children. But we are it nevertheless. Right now. And look forward to the perfection that is in the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. In which we will receive a glorified state. Because we know that when he appears, we'll be like him. Perfect. We shall then see him as he is. Here is the, here is the end result to which it is moving towards, and that is union with God in Christ, and not just collectively, in the sense that, oh, you're part of this group individually. Yeah, collectively in the sense of the church, but individually in each one, that God knows you. He knows your name. He cares about you. You say, well, how can he keep all that straight? Oh, yeah, that's right. He's God. He, he, there's no limits on his understanding of his knowledge, of his power, it never ends. It isn't like I'll use up a little bit of my power and now I've got to take time off. No, it doesn't end. It never, uh, it never diminishes in any way. What a great state to be in. 
And you know what would happen? Here's, here's your practical applications that, that I may not get to, but here's one of them because it's right there in the text. I'm in 1 John 3, 3. I'll read it for you. Everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. See, knowing God, knowing God, being awoken to that changes the reality of your life. You have a habitual sin you want to fight? If you sit there and focus on that, you might have some little bit of success setting up certain parameters and guidelines and all of that. I'm not going to say none of that has any effect at all. But do you want to get over it? Do you really want the cure? No, God. Go to him. That, that experience and that relationship and that knowledge with God changes everything about your actions, about your attitudes, about your affections. And the call then is to grow in that grace and knowledge of him. Judaism... had very limited access to God. Their experience of God was far off, as the way I would describe it. It was essentially a come-see religion. They had a physical temple. It was adorned with great beauty, but access to that temple was limited. You just couldn't go in and see it because there were barriers to that entrance. The temple, by the way, was it, it's not only geographically just one of them at one place, but also there were barriers to it. You had an outer court, which the Gentiles could go in, but it could go no further. And then you had a court inside of that. Think of like concentric courts, if you will, where the women could go, but no further. And then the men, and then the priests, and then in the innermost court, Some call it the Holy of Holies, if you will. That could only be entered by the high priest and just once a year. Matthew 27, I'll read this for you, and I'll have you jump to Ephesians 2 if you'd like. Matthew 27, at the death of Christ, do you remember this? I'll read it for you, 2751. Behold... The curtain of the temple was torn in two. From top to bottom, the earth shook and the rocks were split. This is a dramatic event. This is earth shattering as the earth did shatter when everything was changed. What was changed? Now you have, beloved, direct access in to the throne of God. This was a circumstance in which in history no one could imagine. And here God demonstrates that through the tearing of the veil to the most inner court, the holy of holies, top to bottom, that is, God did this and opens a way. If you're in Ephesians 2, just so that you can see this referred to, and you're going to see this a lot in Scripture if you focus, uh, if you make that your focus, your your knowing and experiencing God. In Ephesians 2, Paul tells the church and reminds them in verse 14 of chapter 2, 
that Christ is indeed our peace. How? Well, and he's talking about Jew and Gentile in particular, that he has made us both one. How? In uniting us to him, he has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. What, what, whatever divided has been broken down by Christ. How? By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so then making peace. And he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. The hostility is the wrath that is deserved from breaking God's law. Then he preaches this. He proclaims it. Verse 17, to you who were, to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. In other words, those that were in under the Mosaic Covenant got the same message of His grace. Those who were far off from it and far removed from it, who weren't part of it, they get the same message of His grace. And what is that message? Verse 18, we have both, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. As I began in my illustration before, with my grandfather and father, there's great access. <laughs> my dad knew his dad, as my son knows me. That's the illustration here. We're, this is why they're using the term of the father, so that you would recognize the 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 experiential and loving and caring relationship that is with God. You're no longer then strangers and aliens, and that's how it, it, it manifests itself out, that individually, yes, you're a child of God. Collectively, together then, you are fellow citizens and saints and then members of the very household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together then does what? Grows into a holy temple of the Lord. You're being built together, he would say, verse 22, into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Again, taking the analogy of where it pictured in the temple a dwelling place for God would have been in that holy of holy place. That's what it illustrated. And this is why access was limited. But now access is full and free. As a child might go to his father, so you can go experientially to God. Let's jump to Hebrews chapter 4, and I'll be quick on this maybe. Because this goes back to what we've already talked about, but I want to remind and awaken this concept of access to see this connection of knowing God. We have a great high priest, verse 14 of chapter 4 in Hebrews, we have one that's able to sympathize with our weakness, verse 15. He identifies with us because he's walked in our shoes. So what's our response then? 
because of this access, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. This is what God has granted to all of those that are in Christ Jesus. Full access. It's not limited by time. It's not limited by place. It's not limited by special uh, privileges or achievements in life. It's the, the, the very young to the very old. Remember in Hebrews 8, it says, From the all of them will know me, from the least to the greatest. What a great privilege and access. It, it isn't for a select few. It is for all of those in Christ that you can go at any time to find help in your time of need and speak to the Father directly. I think I have a minute to go through this John 17, so I invite you now to turn there. These are Christ's words. He's teaching the disciples beginning in verse 14 in the upper room, and he gives them some great truths. And then he finishes up in chapter 17. We call this his high high priestly prayer. He knows the hour is coming. That's in the previous chapter, chapter 16. He knows that they're going to be scattered, 1632. They they know they're going to walk away and abandon Christ at his great hour of need. But Christ knows he's not alone. And beloved, if you're not, if you're in Christ, you're not alone either at any time, no matter what someone else may do or not. And so he speaks to them that they might have peace in unpeaceful times, verse 33. For them to really know God, to to recognize that in the world you're going to have tribulation. There's going to be problems, whatever they might be. But you can take heart because he's God and he's overcome the world. So here's his prayer. And here's his prayer for you, beloved. After Jesus spoke these words, these teaching, his, his eyes went to heaven. See why they call it the high priestly prayer? Christ praying for you. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. Okay, he gives eternal life. What's, what's eternal life? Well, what is he talking about? That's the verse 3 that I opened with, that I said, I hope we would get there, and we did. This is eternal life. Mark this. Write this down. Blaze this on your mind, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This is how you'll know God. This is how you know the true God, is through Jesus Christ. It is Jesus Christ who has made him known. This is how you know God. And God gives it to you. That's the grace prior to this, it says, right? You have given him authority. He is in rule. He is in power. And he is the one who grants eternal life. 
Eternal life is not necessarily an expression of time, although that certainly would be included. But what he is talking about ultimately in eternal life is the quality of life. It is the way to be at peace in the midst of a storm. It is the way to triumph in the midst of great tragedy. There are many things that can occupy our mind and much that we might need to go through. But whatever the circumstance, Christ has overcome the world. And you're in Christ. Do you know him? Do you have that quality of life, that experiential relationship with God that would grow? Christ says in verse 4, I've glorified you in earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. This was by God's design from the very beginning. And Christ fulfills this in time. He says, I have manifested, verse 6, your name to the people who you gave me out of this world. Yours they were, that is in his decree, that's what he's speaking of, and you gave them to me. And then what was their response? They kept their word. Their, their obedience comes out about through the change of heart in the people that the Father has decreed. He has written his will, his word, his commandments on their heart. And verse 7, look at this. Now they know. They know. Not just information, but they know. They know a person. They know everything that you, that you have given me is from you. For I've given them the words that you gave me, and they received them. And they have come to know the truth. What truth? That I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. And I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world. But for those who you have given me, for they are yours. Here is a special covenant relationship that Jesus Christ has with his own. I prayed for my children every day as soon as I was aware of their existence in the womb. And I will not cease. And I'm not that good of a father. Could you imagine Christ has been praying for you? You say, They're yours. All mine are, are yours, and yours are mine, and I'm glorified in them. He's going to leave physically. So verse 11, I'm no longer in the world, but, but they're in the world. That's the existence. I'm coming to you, Holy Father, then keep them in your name. That's the prayer that your faith would persist that they may be one even as we are one. He's not necessarily just talking about their own personal relationships with one another, although that would be certainly included. What he's saying is, as, I, as we are one, that is your union with God, that you would experientially know him. This is why I was in the world <coughs> with them. I kept them in your name, which you've given me. I've guarded them that not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. 
But now I'm coming to you. And these things I speak in the world that they, that, why? That they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. How are you going to have that joy fulfilled within yourself? It'll be through knowing God through Jesus Christ. Experientially. I, give them your, I have given them your word. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. There is a distinction between those that are in Christ and those that are not. Those who know God and those who do not. They're not of the... I don't ask that you would take them out of the world, but that you would keep them from the evil one. They're not of the world. Just as I am not of the world, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. That sanctification is a process in which you would grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord. It is mediated through his word. As you sent me then, here's the directive into the world, I've sent them. And for themselves, I consecrate myself that they might be sanctified in the truth. And just in case, in some time in the future, folks would look back on this high priestly prayer and say, yeah, that was good. Jesus was praying for those apostles that were there, or those disciples, should I say, that were there in his presence before he sent them out as apostles. That's good for them, but what about me? Oh, here you are. Verse 20, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe through their word. That's you, beloved, if you're in Christ. That prayer is for you. This is Jesus praying for you even now. And, and what is this ultimately that you would know God, that you would be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in what? Us. And what is the purpose of it? Why would he leave you even here in this, in this state that the prayer is that you would have this relationship with God? Why would he leave you here to proclaim that very thing to all of those who don't know God? Because you do. That's the means by which God has determined to accomplish that. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as I am one, as we are one. I and them, you and me. That the world might know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. You could not be more loved. Are you lonely? Do you feel unloved? Does something just totally break apart? No, God. It'll supersede everything else. And the desire for Christ for you is that that they also whom you have given me be, may be where I am to actually realize it, to see his glory and the love that, he, you had been, that Christ had been given before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, he'll close in prayer, and we'll close with this. 
even though the world doesn't know you. And that's the problem. The world does not know God. I know you, Christ says. And these know that you have sent me. I have made known to them your name. And I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Let us pray. Oh, Father, I do pray that you would awaken us to the realization that we have a genuine and personal relationship with you, that it would cause us to certainly grow in grace and the knowledge of you, that our joy would be full in Christ. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Take a moment now to think on these things and respond to Christ in any way he has spoken to you today. Take a moment now. Father, we do pray that we would indeed turn our eyes on you. May your affections for your children be known, and may we know you. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we have to sing, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus, even though I don't know the number. But somebody does. 413. Isn't that a lovely hymn and fitting at this time? And I think that is our call now to turn our eyes upon Christ. 4.13, let's stand together as Jerry leads us.
go ahead and pray and we'll be dismissed. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen and amen. We're dismissed. Thank you.